morning, Linwood. It's, uh, it's really great being here. I was saying to Donnie this morning, I think the last time I was in Linwood morning service was 2016, the Christmas service. Ruda and I, we were like the, we were the two-man team that day. Um, I'm not necessarily a, a person who is in the band, but I was tasked to lead worship and to spiritual oversight the service, and Ruda preached. Now, leading worship was easy that morning because we sang with the CD player. Um, so I just stood up and just needed to get everyone going, and then we went. So it's really good being back here. Um, as I was just standing here, I'm, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a strange feeling being back in a place where it all started. Um, yes, as tradition in Chuane, everyone finds their way through Willenwood some way or some time. Um, I was part of this church for about 18 months. But what I realized is I've been blessed by this church for nine years already. Even though I was just here present for 18 months, I've been blessed by the people and the leaders of this church for the last nine years of my life. Um, so if you're on the fringes here, if you're still not sure, I want to say to you, you can trust this place, you can trust the leaders, you can trust this family. Um, they really go the extra mile. They stand in when they need to be, when, when you can't stand anymore. Um, I'm reminded when last year when my father struggled with COVID and eventually passed away, you guys were praying for me and my family, and we weren't even in this church. Um, so I'm just humbled by that. Um, and just a word I want to keep encouraging you, Donnie, and, and the rest of your eldership team is may you continue, God will continue to bless you as you continue to bless the nations, our movement, and our city. Um, we definitely all benefit from what you guys do here. And um, therefore, don't stop. Don't stop. Keep going. Keep making disciples. Keep trusting God for big things. If I just think the amount of church plants that have been birthed or helped throughout your group of people, it's, um, it's really inspiring. So I want to just honor you for that. Um, there's just a picture of my family or the previous slide. Um, Anshan and I have known each other since the age that the teenagers were here this morning, since we were 12 years old. Um, I tried really hard for like 10 years for her to like me. And uh, if you endure, good things happen. Eventually, she realized, hey, this guy's not that bad. Um, and we've been married for almost five years. We have a beautiful little girl that's a real joy in our lives. And it's, yeah, we're looking forward to see what God has in the future. You guys are busy with this, the upside-down kingdom, and what a great series, what a great perspective to have when we think about God. Um, because ultimately, this whole series, what it's trying to do is to establish that the way God perceives the world is different to the way we do. The way God operates in this world is different to how we are taught maybe by mean, mainstream media to operate. So I love this concept of what you've been doing um, and just wrestling through what it really means to be part of the kingdom of God. But it's also challenging because it's radically different. It's radically different than any else, anything else you are being fed, whether it's on Twitter, on social media, in the news, wherever. Being part of this upside-down kingdom is Different and difficult. We see this as a recurring theme in the Bible. It is the one who serves and sacrifices who becomes great. It's the one who serves and sacrifices. That is the person who will become great in the kingdom of God. It is, if you want to be an effective leader, serve. If you want to live, die to yourself. If you want to gain riches in this world, give it away. And if you have got quarrels with people or have enemies in this world, you are called to love and not cancel them. 
and not splash their name out on social media? How are you treating ESCOM, every nation? Love thy enemies. <laughs> See, because the problem is today is that we can very quickly, by the way we live, demonstrate that the kingdom of God looks exactly like every other kingdom there is. We can very quickly take scripture and kind of force in a secular way of living when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to identity, when it comes to parenting, when it comes to even church. We force in a secular worldview into scripture and then think we will see fruit come from our lives. It is so important that we understand what this means to be in the kingdom of God and live in this upside-down kingdom. Here's a quote from a man named Ken Waitsma. You don't know him, don't worry, it's just a cool quote. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. It beckons us to gamble all, to trust radically, to come and die so that we may live, to give our lives away. Giving life away is a paradox. It's losing so we can win. It's giving so we can receive. It's risking for security. It's faith. The kingdom of God means living in that tension. And that's... But you guys have been journeying through the last few weeks, and I trust that you'll continue to pursue this upside-down kingdom and what it means to live there. Now, today we're finishing the series in Mark 13, and the title of today is called Staying Awake. Stay Awake. Now, if you look at Mark 13, it is a very tough chapter. Now, when I mean tough, I mean strange. And when I mean strange, I mean unique. And without saying weird, it's really just a strange chapter. Because it's very like, it's typical to Mark's expression of his gospel that everything's happening in fast forward. Like, I think Mark must have been this incredible human being that operated, who knows, like a high-level functioning person. They're just, they're doing this before you know, they're doing this, then they're doing this, then they're doing this. I think Mark was like on fast forward. He said, I'm going to get as much information about the kingdom of God in 16 chapters. Here I go. Don't stop me now. So in this one chapter, we one moment looking at the destruction of Jerusalem and then it's the second coming of Jesus. So this is just a really tough wrestle with the scripture. And we find that even scholars have you can find a lot of things when it comes to Mark 13. It's almost like who's got one of those friends where you're busy sharing a story to them and they're nodding and they're patiently listening and then out of nowhere from left field they just mention something completely different than what you are saying. Anyone know a friend like that? That's kind of what, it's like, all right, yes, Jerusalem, we're going to destroy Jerusalem. What, Jesus is coming again. Whoa, 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 Mark, we're still busy. So it's just wrestle through this chapter. If you don't believe me, go read it for yourself. In fact, no, go and read it for yourself anyway, by the way. But that's all I kind of lo love about Scripture, is that we are willing, when we are willing, to pause long enough to sit down, to stop. It's not always what we want to know, but it's what we need to know about the truth. That's what I love about this chapter, actually. It's not, oh, I, well, I don't really want to know what you're saying it's not about what you want to know, it's what you need to know. And sometimes when we come to Scripture, we have to surrender our hearts and say, what do I need? And not just what do I know so that I can sound clever around the bride place or in my connect group. Ultimately, the idea of this chapter comes to stay awake. Everyone say stay awake. Stay 
So I'm going to read Mark 13 from 32 to 37. You're welcome to follow with me. But concerning the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. We just love the word journey in Christian language, right? I'm going on this journey. When he leaves home and puts his servant in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. In five verses, we have keep awake, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. I think there's something to be told here, right? Can you notice almost the importance and the emphasis being placed on stay awake, stay awake? Now, what was happening, just the context behind the scripture, was that the Jews, a Jewish tribe or the Jewish people had trusted for this leader and this king to come and eventually avenge us, to overthrow the Roman government so that we will be back in power like the good old days. Who sometimes longs for the good old days? So the good old days, we will be in charge again. And then this Jesus comes along and things are looking promising. Here's someone who's doing miracles. Here's someone that's attracting crowds. Here's someone that's making an impact. But the problem is it wasn't necessarily in the way they would hope for. See, Jesus was starting to restore and build a new kingdom, not necessarily one that the Jews were expecting. Because it challenged them to the very core of their foundations. That's why I believe the kingdom of God, even us today, should challenge us to the very core of our foundations in the way we see and perceive life. Jesus did indeed come to establish the promised kingdom, but it was not the kingdom they were expecting. How quickly we feel like Jesus doesn't live up to our expectations. Jesus, I expected you to do this. I expected you to heal me, to bless me, to take me further. We've got these unmet expectations toward Jesus. But the problem is that when you and I start dictating how and why and when the workings of Jesus must take place, that means you are on the throne of the kingdom and not him. I don't say this tongue-in-cheek or with any emotions behind it. I've had to wrestle through this very concept the last 18 months like most of us just through personal hardships. But that's what I'm trusting. May we, trusting for our message today, and what we will see from Scripture is that there is something different God wants to establish in our lives. He wants to establish in Chwani. He wants to establish in Gauteng. He wants to establish in South Africa so that the nations may know. And I really trust that this is what today's Scripture will speak into our souls. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you're a good father. We want to acknowledge that here today again. That we can trust you. We can trust you because you are on the throne of your kingdom. And no other kingdom, nothing else can force or up, overthrow you ever. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll minister to our hearts today. Cut where we need to be cut. Open where we need to be open. And I pray this, so that you will be worshipped, Jesus. So that you will be known and you will be made a lot about, and I praise in your name. Amen.
So one thing that most South Africans have in common, I trust, because whenever you just hear about people, what are you looking forward to, December, holidays coming, normally a lot of us try and do what? Road trips. Okay, and especially now with what the price is for flying, we're all more getting settled into our vehicles, and we're driving down to Cape Town this year. Although that even itself is not necessarily as easy as it used to be. But it doesn't take away from the fact that if I would ask many of us, everyone would kind of say, no, I love a road trip. Because there's so many good elements to what a road trip is. It's the music, it's the food, it's the conversation, it's the people, it's the stops, it's the unexpected stops. Just the road getting somewhere exciting. Now, I'm going to tell you a story about Anshan and I. And before I came here, I said, Anshan, do you mind if I just share a story, this story? And she said, Wes, yes, um, it depends which, which, which version do you tell. Well, I said, you're not going to be here this morning, so it doesn't really matter, does it? So we got married on the 3rd of March, 2018. And the next day, on our way to honeymoon. Very excited. So we got married in the Midlands. So to drive from the Midlands back to Johannesburg. Now, I mean, the wedding continues until late at night. It's early morning. Why? Because we have to catch our flight um, on the way to our honeymoon. And I didn't sleep a lot that night. And... <laughs> Innocent giggles. Anyway... So we woke up early the next morning on our way to travel, and like we get to, I think it's Moy River, and I just say to Anj, Anj, I'm, I'm a little bit sleepy right now. Do you mind if you just drive for a little bit? She says, where's, of course I do. I said, great. I know. I said, I just need like an hour. She says, she's fine. So Moy River has this tall plaza. And about a kilometer before that. So we quickly swap, we turn over, I get into the, the passenger seat, she gets behind the wheel, and here we go. Honeymoon, we just got married, exciting times, here we go. And, um, and about like 12 minutes later, now this is where Anshan and I's version sometimes differs. She says it's a bit longer, I say it was definitely not longer than 12 minutes. I think I'm being generous already when I say 12 minutes. This is something, I mean, I just like wake up just to make sure everything's fine. And I find my new wife sitting like this behind the steering wheel. And she's fallen asleep. And I'm like, now, I don't, I don't want to yell because if you yell, she goes like this. And then no honeymoon for any one of us. Or maybe like an eternal honeymoon. I don't know. <laughs> and I'm like, Ajahn. <laughs> she's, whew, she's awake. And I said, what now? She says, no, she doesn't know. She knew she was falling asleep, but she couldn't do something about it. She was just like... Oh no, I'm losing, I'm, and she closed her eyes and she fell asleep. So my, after my 12-minute power nap, I got back into the, behind the wheel of the car. We safely made it to our tambu and had an incredible honeymoon. But here's the thing, like with road trips, that's sometimes one of the toughest part. Like you driving through the Karua or on your way to even the N1 to Polokwane. Like it's just sometimes uneventful and there's like... You've got people that have got these like strategies to keep you awake. No, put down the chair because you, if you fall back, you'll be awake. Or let open all the windows. Or <clears throat> no, just keep eating. Like if no one's fallen, fallen asleep when they keep eating. Now, that's true. But if you've got a 10-hour road trip and you have to continue eating, it doesn't help you pick up 10 kilograms while you're in the car. So all these strategies. But isn't it... <laughs> Who's ever been there? It's like, I'm doing whatever I can. I just can't stay awake. You see, it's very difficult for us to stay awake when everything around you is actually trying to put you to sleep. It's the long road. It's the mundane. I've done this. Everyone else in the car is sleeping. I'm going through the free state. There's no good radio stations there. 
Sorry, people from the Free State. Just how I honestly feel. It's very difficult to stay awake when everything around you is trying to put you to sleep. Friends, that's current modern-day society. Everything around us, and we have to know this, everything around you, on social media, around you, even the conversations we have in our workplaces, everything is trying to put you and I to sleep for the kingdom of God's purposes. Trying to grasp you, trying to freeze you, trying to blur you, trying just to damper down the faith that's in your heart that it can be expressed. And here's the thing, we shouldn't be naive against it because those ideologies are intentional. I find it so strange, Soccer World Cup starting tonight, and there's this massive campaign, people are boycotting the World Cup for the way the Middle Eastern people, the Muslims treat the LGBTQ community, and I don't agree they should treat that, but I'm like, do you know which people group is treated worse than LGBTQ community in the Middle East? Christians. Everything around us is trying to just blur you and cause you to fall asleep. The sweet, sad songs of Satan playing in our ears just to make you fall asleep. And we see here from the scripture, that's exactly what you and I cannot do. We cannot afford to fall asleep. Chapter 13, we find two things that Jesus is almost speaking into. He speaks on the, the, the destruction of Jerusalem. And he speaks on his second coming. So from these two aspects, we find out how what we should stay awake against. Personal devastation, personal hardships, and the second coming of Jesus. Why should you and I be awake when it comes to these elements? Well, number one, hardships. Why should you stay awake when you are going through difficult times? Why should you stay awake when you feel like everything around you is falling away? Because pain can also put you to sleep. Who's ever had a headache? Just Maybe I'm just going to lie down. By lying down, we miraculously believed that the pain would disappear. See, hardships, why we need to stay awake in hardships is because hardships can push you to a place of becoming numb. can put you to a place where you just start, start cutting off reality. It can put you to sleep to the goodness of God that's happening around you. Who's maybe there this morning? But what's happened in the last two years, the loss you've experienced, is almost putting you to sleep to the goodness of God that's actually in your life. Without giving too much detail, the last 18 months of my life have been the worst, most hard, most difficult, most actually unbelievable 18 months of my life. I've lost multiple family members. Our daughter spent six weeks in the hospital, which two weeks were in the ICU. They needed to remove half of her lung. A few months ago, we found out that we were pregnant, very excited, and we had a miscarriage of 10 weeks. Pain wants to put you to sleep. I remember I was speaking to Anshan one morning, and she said to me, Wes, it's really difficult to believe in the goodness of God right now. It's really to believe that God is good right now. After time and time and time and time again, I said to her, Ange, I mean, what do you say to your wife when she says that, honestly? It feels like I've been trained for the last 10 years in ministry to help students and young people and, and congregants get through these questions, but my wife's asking this to me now. I said, well, I, I don't know what to say. 
And in that moment, my little girl comes running into the room, and I say to Anj, may we never forget that what this girl represents in our lives is the faithfulness and the goodness of God. And if that's all we have to hold on right now, then we do that. Now, do I want to know? Because, man, it's comfortable hiding behind your pain. See, in hardships, we can so quickly almost give up. See, remember Jerusalem to the disciples when they were walking around, it was more than just a building. It was more, the temple that was in Jerusalem was more than just a temple. It was the center point of their religion. It's where everyone kind of dreamed of being. It was this, it was so part of their culture and as people. And here Jesus is saying it will be destroyed. That's a big deal. That's a big deal to these, these people, these men. Ultimately, it was part of the reason why they had Jesus crucified to the Pharisees because he said he's going to break down the temple. It was personal to them. It wasn't just this, oh, just knock down the building. I mean, modern day Pretoria, we knock down buildings, we build new ones and better ones. That wasn't the case with this. I recently heard a story of, um, you can show that picture on the screen. Right. So in Thailand, there is this soup kitchen where... Um, this broth has been stewing for 45 years. Now, those of you who are chefs or enjoy cooking, a lot of you are going like, oh, that's gross. No, it's actually good. I mean, it's broth. It's like stew. It's like, you know how the amount of flavors go into this pot for 45 years? No, it is a bit gross. I must say, like, clean your dishes, please. Some of you feel like that you are, you've been stuck in the broth of pain for the last 40, 45 years. You've just been stuck, and I'll ask you this morning to be awake, to stay awake. Don't give up. Be on guard. Why should we be awake with the second coming of Jesus? Why should we be awake in the fact that we should know that Jesus is returning? Well, like I said, these disciples in the early part of Mark chapter 13, they come into Jerusalem. Now, remember, the disciples, none of them came from Jerusalem. They were these farm boys, these you know, they came from all these little towns. So they're in the big city now. And they're excited. They're like, we're going to, oh, this temple. They actually, they actually say, Jesus, look at this beautiful building. Look at these stones. And Jesus says, yes, I'm going to tear it down. This, will be, no, this won't be here no more. And they're like, what? Now, I don't know if you watched maybe the Rasi Erasmus documentary, but there's this phrase that he speaks in Afrikaans, and he says, um, when he was a young rugby player, die licht is het omgevang. The lights were busy catching the disciples because, oh, look at the big city. Look, they were so impressed by everything around them. And Jesus says, yes, that's coming down. And I'm like, whoa. Jesus, but whoa, whoa, but the temple. So much better than our little temple. And so we got a, we got a stall. We got like a little barn that we have to. Mark 13, it says, as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? Like, check it out. They will not be left here, one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. See, we can put so much affection and attention on things of this world, friends. We can put so much affection and attention on the things of this world, these things that are impressive and beautiful and seemingly have value. Oftentimes, it's the impressive things of this life, the things that capture you, that put you asleep for God's purposes. Was there something wrong with the temple? No. Was it wrong having a temple? No. 
But when something in our lives starts gaining so much attention and affection, friends, that's what starts putting us to sleep. In the screw tape letters that uh, C.S. Lewis wrote, one of the demons that he's portraying in this book writes, he's, uh, like it's a big demon coaching a little demon. If you don't know the book, go and read it. It's a fascinating uh, piece of literature from C.S. Lewis. He says, your job is to fix his attention, now his means humanity, on the immediate stream of what he can see and touch in here. Tell him to call it real life and don't let him ask what it means to be real. So the pleasures of this world, the impressive things, the beautiful things, our jobs, our hobbies, our relationships, politics. Some of you need to know that it is, what happens in Parliament is not the most important thing that should happen in South Africa. Some of you should know that what happens in the White House is not the most important thing that is happening in your life right now. What's happening on social media, what's happening in your school. These impressive things, just sleep, sleep. Sleep, because if you're asleep, you cannot be awake for what God wants to do. That's why he says, be awake, because I'm coming again. He's putting down a new hope. He's putting down a reality that he is greater than even the things that pull us down or the things that want to pick us up. I'm greater than the best experience you'll ever have in this world, and I'm greater than the biggest devastation you'll ever experience in this world. See, when we get invested so much into something that will fade away, everything fades away, friends. When we get so invested, whether it's relationships, whether it's job, whether it's hobbies, whatever it is, when that fades away, you will feel like you've lost your world. And then what happens? Our response to this loss, we either live in anxiety or we live in overdrive. What I mean by anxiety, if you're losing something, something in your life's not working out, if the expectation you had for Jesus isn't working, what you do, we become anxious, we become worrying, we can't sleep, we neglect our, our health, we get caught up. No, I'm so, you, you actually diminish who you are. That's what anxiety will do to you. On the other side, we jump into overdrive. We start fixating. Now I have to fix this problem. And it's like now we're working longer hours. We're not taking rest. We're not having Sabbath. We, we're writing off church. We're writing off family. We get to this place. We start fixating on things. Both of those actions are birthed from the same place. That is fear. Fear that God will not do what he's promised to do. And if you don't bring that fear to God, you might treat your overdrive and anxiety with nice podcasts and cool ideas, but if you don't bring your fear towards Jesus and say, Jesus, speak into the fear that has gripped my heart, that I'm struggling to believe that you are good and you will provide for me, we will just spin in a circle over and over and over again. What is your affection and attention currently fixed on, church? What is your affection and attention currently fixed on? Forty years later, the temple in Jerusalem is destroyed. See, sometimes for us to wake up, something needs to blow up. Sometimes for you and I to wake up, something needs to blow up. Can I ask that we as a people do not wait for the blow-up moments that we can diligently seek Jesus and be awake, be expectant on his return. 
That's why Jesus should always remain the main source and focus of our attention and affection. Some of us have placed alcohol and acceptance of our culture as the affection and attention of our, of our eyes and our lives. You just don't want, you don't want, I can't afford someone not inviting me to go hunting next year. So I'd rather do what they do so that I can keep going, so that I can keep being someone I'm not called to be. Makes sense. Some of us have placed our image and who we are in society, the power that comes with it. That's why we neglect our families. We don't prioritize church gathering families like this. And we work ridiculous hours because it's so important for people to know that I'm in charge. I've got this. And we build up this almost like this, this mask of pretense. That pretend that we've got capacity that will last for days. I'm not claiming living in the upside down kingdom is easy, friends. If you want to live in the upside down kingdom, make sure Jesus is on the throne. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck in religion. You're going to do these things that seemingly look good, but if he's not on the throne, we will not see fruit coming from it. So what, what helps with this? Keeping Jesus on the throne. Is he on the throne of your life? Is he on the throne of the way you do business, the way you parent, the way you are just a community member, whether it's in Linwood or Menu Park or wherever you find yourself? We need Jesus to be on the throne. And then secondly, we need help. I see there's a lot of like well-built men and women in this church. That means a lot of you like gymming. That's great. Now, when you get to something called bench press, right, that's where you lie down. They put like a heavy weight on your chest and you have to push up like this. Now, if you, there's some weights you are comfortable with, but if you want to continue to grow, you need someone to come and spot you. Now, that means someone that stands there to make sure that this barbell doesn't fall on your chest and crush you. So they don't really do much. They just stand there and make sure that when you maybe drop, they're there to help. Friends, the harder sometimes things get in life, the more we should make sure Jesus is on the throne and we have people for those moments that when something drops, I have got you. That's why spiritual family matters. Talk to any bodybuilder. Talk to anyone who's like serious about fitness. You do not bench press alone, ever. Because it's really humiliating when you're lying under that barbell in the gym and you're screaming for help. Because people say, why did you try and do? You knew it was too heavy for you, and now you look like. What's the difference between being awake and sleeping? How do you know where you are at? How do you know if you're awake or if you're asleep? See, when you're asleep, you live as though God doesn't exist. Now this is, listen, it's not you believe. You live as though God doesn't exist. Nowhere part of your plans, nowhere in your life, nowhere in your business, nowhere in your friendship circles, nowhere in your entertainment. Like God does not exist on Netflix, therefore I can watch what I want. You spend time and money in a way that says all that matters is this age. Is my little 70, 90, 20 years on earth. That's all that matters. And that's where my time and money will go to. How do you know you're asleep? You view yourself as the center point of your existence. And everything is catered to make sure you're making it, you're comfortable, and you're doing great. How do you know you're asleep? You assume, okay, let's say, yes, no, God does exist, but he's tolerant and he'll accept me as long as I can express who I'm called to be. Self-expression. The ideology of today. 
No matter how bonkers it gets, as long as you can express yourself in the way you want, that's fine. God will tolerate me. That's how you know you've fallen asleep. For those who are asleep means the day of the Lord will surprise you like a thief in the night. So that's what it means to be asleep. What does it mean to be awake? Well, you and I are awake when we know God is involved in everything we do. God is involved in everything we do, including getting stuck on traffic on your way to Midrand. He's involved in your golf tours. He's involved in your family moments. He's involved in your December vacation. He's involved in everything. How do you know you're awake? You know that this life is short. It's only setting me up for eternity, which is way more important. My life has barely begun. And therefore, my time and my money and my resources don't just go into what's happening now, but into what will come. How do you know you're awake? That God is at the center of your life. And putting other people ahead of you is important. It's not only about you. How do you know you're awake? God is holy, and we are more flawed than what we ever could believe. But thank God, He's a good God who loves us and came to save us and set us free from religion and sin. But he's a holy God, and I submit to him. How do you know you're asleep or awake? The day of the Lord will be like a surprise party. You knew it's coming, you just didn't know when. That's a difference, friends. Where are you? Do you find yourself asleep this morning, or are you finding yourself awake? Now, maybe you're sitting here today and saying, I'm a bit asleep. Okay. How do we become awake? It's a great way. It's a great theory. Tell me, what should I go and do? How do I do this? How do you and I make sure, leading into a season where probably most of you won't be in connect groups because it's holidays and you're stuck in Dorp or in Lutrichard? You probably won't. How do you make sure you're going to remain awake, not just for this moment, but for the rest of your life? Mark 13 has the answer. It says from verse 9, to 13, I'm going to read this. Be put on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues, and you will stand before the government and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first proclaim, be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, I love it out there's no room for maybes when Jesus is speaking, right? They will. You will be delivered. You will be beaten. Do not be anxious beforehand for what you're going to say, but say what is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Brothers will deliver brothers over to death. Fathers, children, children will rise against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, this is speaking of, yet again, it's a dual focus. Jesus is saying in the day that will come when the temple will be destroyed in Jerusalem, the current day persecution, a lot of these things will happen. But he's also mirroring that one day when he returns, just before that, this is exactly what will happen as well. How do you and I make sure we stay awake? Everyone says, stay awake. Number one, we expect difficulty. You can expect difficulty. It's better to know that now than to be surprised when it comes. Number two, be a faithful witness. Be a faithful witness. Verse 9 says, to bear witness before them. 
to share the gospel. Sharing the gospel is a key element to being awake, friends. If we're not sharing the gospel, somewhere in your soul you've fallen, to, fallen asleep. That's why it matters what's happening around us in the city. Number three, rely on the Spirit. It is not you. Stop being so focused on you and be expecting what the Holy Spirit wants to do through you. And number four, endure. Can we be a people that endures? Because we know He's coming again. We know He's on the throne. We know this is not our current reality, that eternity has got way greater value than just the present day. That's how you and I stay awake. Upside down kingdom, yes, it's difficult, it looks different, but what a privilege it is for us to be part of a kingdom that isn't built around us. I believe some of you from this message, you're going to maybe take a few days to just think about this, and, and then somewhere something's going to pop and say, hold on, have I fallen asleep? Some of you are sitting here right now, and you know, I don't think I've shared the gospel with anyone in the last two years. Am I asleep? Maybe you're sitting here today, and you know that you're asleep because of the pain of the last two years, the pain of the last 20 years has hardened your heart. Friends, and this is where I find myself currently. I have to be so vigilant and make sure, Lord, don't, don't harden my heart. And that's what I want to pray into this morning. That today is a moment for you to wake up. It's a moment for me to wake up. It's a moment for us as a church, friends. Our country doesn't need better. Okay, it does, but <laughs> we need good government. I agree on that. But what we need greater than that is a church that is awake. Is a church that says, I will not stand for falsehoods. Is actually in this chapter, Jesus says, be careful of false saviors. That's how you prevent yourself from falling asleep. More than anything, we need Jesus on the throne of our nation. And the way we do that is when the church is, we're awake. We're not sleeping. And with all due respect, it doesn't help you come to church on a Sunday from 9 to 11 or from 8 because I know prayers at 8 o'clock from 8 to 11 and you're awake here. And for the rest of the week, you're asleep. Can we be awake? Lord, awaken your church. Awaken us this morning. Awaken us in, in the midst of our hardships, in the midst of our troubles, in the midst of what we're facing. If it's you, you're just sitting here and you say, you need almost like a, just a, a, a truth bomb to go from your soul to wake up this morning. Can you just raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Nice and high. Remember, wake people, don't raise your hands like this. Wake people, do this, because you're awake, right? Holy Spirit, I pray that with everyone's hands that are raised, I pray that will you awaken us in a way that we haven't felt for such a long time. Awaken us to your beauty, Jesus. Awaken us to your spirit, Jesus. Awaken us to your purposes, to your plans that are greater than ours. Awaken your church, Holy Spirit. Awaken us this morning. I pray for dried up devotions. I pray for painful problems in our hearts. 
Jesus, and the chance that will just dissolve this morning is not there. But Lord, I pray there will be people that will endure. That our faith will grow and have an impact in society. Jesus, we serve you as the one and only King. And we are ready to be an army of your upside down kingdom. Thank you that you saved us. Thank you that you loved us. And thank you that you'll continue to do so for the rest of our lives. May you awaken everyone whose hands are up right now to a fresh call of love, a fresh call of home, and a fresh call of purpose. I pray this in Jesus' name.